Welcome to The Build Up. I'm Kirk Pinhop. And I'm Arielle Cass. We cover real estate for Cranes Detroit Business. Together, we're launching this podcast to give you the inside scoop on commercial real estate. We'll be bringing in experts from across the industry to offer their perspectives on the biggest issues they face today and what challenges they expect for the future. This is The Build Up. Today's guest is Joe Luther, Vice President and General Manager of Southeast Michigan Operations for Christman Companies. He started as a project engineer at the construction firm in 2008, and since then has amassed a resume of major projects. Some of those projects include the Accident Fund National Headquarters in Lansing, multiple Detroit Public Schools projects, and current work on the redevelopment of the GSA Theater 11 U.S. Courthouse in Detroit. Please welcome Joe Luther to the buildup. Joe, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Kirk and Ariel. I'm excited to be here today. So you've had quite a career trajectory at Christman starting in uh, 2008 as a project engineer, and then you were promoted to your current role as uh, vice president and GM of the region um, about a year and a half or two years ago. Um, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what it was like to take on more responsibility, especially during the pandemic, and what changed for you as you uh, grew in the company? Sure. Been in the industry now for uh, almost 20 years, you know, coming up on 15 with Christman, and, and certainly it's been a, a tremendous climb and, and exciting run for me. Um, incredible people at the Christman company around me every step of the way have, have really made it easy. And uh, there's only one thing I love more than construction, and that's people. So, you know, finding the company that was in line with my values and, and could feed that passion every day um, it makes it easy to get up every day and come to work. So taking over the office in Southeast Michigan from Ron Staley in, in early 2021 was certainly uh, an interesting time, but uh, we've got an incredible leadership team in Southeast Michigan and and Ron and the others really had a heck of a flywheel spinning at that point. So I've been just trying to hang on and, and keep up with it and, and help the, the company continue to thrive and grow. And uh, speaking of people, <laughs> um, there's a shortage of them, uh, specifically with regards to uh, uh, skilled labor. And you told you told us back in March that the uh, the lack of workers uh, has forced Christman to turn away at least one ten million dollar project a month. Um, I'm wondering if that's gotten any better. No, we continue to see shortages uh, at labor really at every level, and I think it's going to be one of the things that is with us for a while. Um, there's a lot that's contributing right now to the challenges in the industry with escalation and, and the, the numbers that we're seeing. Um, certainly monetary inflation that we're all dealing with, the supply chain issues that we're all dealing with. But the labor shortage was around before COVID and has really uh, just been taken to a new level because of COVID. So until we could find a way to, to get more young talent into the trade, you know, skilled labor workforce, um, and then and then at every level, even through management, we're going to continue to struggle with that. And I don't think it's something that's going away in the next year or even five. So it's going to be a continual battle for our industry. Can you talk a little bit about whether there are any good solutions to those labor shortfalls? Is there anything in the works? Yeah. So uh, one program that we are working on at Michigan Central Station, one of our projects in Detroit in partnership with Brinker and, and with Ford, um, is called Fast Track. And really, you know, the, the struggle to get young talent into the trade workforce, you know, it has been a problem for many, many years, and all the union uh, labor organizations can speak to it. Fast Track is taking a little bit different approach. Um, this program is, is a small cohort, 12 to 18. Most of them are young, but they don't have to be. We've had uh, cohort members that are as old as 40 years old. 
that are looking to, to see, is this an industry I want to get into? Are the trades, uh, you know, going to be uh, something that fits for me? And so it's a partnership with the unions, the owner, certainly, the construction manager, and then typically a nonprofit. In this, place, in this case, it's workforce development. And these 12 to 18 individuals have a 16-week program where they work through different functions on the job site, whether it be working with the mason contractor, whether it be labor, plasters, carpenters, you know, any of the disciplines. And they're really discovering, is this, you know, is this a good fit for me? In addition to that on-site training that they get, the piece that workforce development provides is, is the mentoring, uh, assistance with transportation to get to the job site, you know, whether they need childcare, really ensuring that that 16 weeks can be a really meaningful uh, time and they, and they see whether or not it's a good fit. We've got about an 80% success rate. Typical, you know, apprentice program through any of the unions, you would see less than 50%. Um, so, so, so far, we've done a few of these cohorts and they've been successful. So it's going to be programs like that. And, and really the industry as a whole getting creative about how can we get young talent into the workforce, get back to the high school level, to the counselors, uh, and educate about how great of, of a career uh, is out there, uh, exists in the trades. And it's translating into people keeping and staying in jobs too? Yeah, that 80% success rate. So at the end of that that 16-week program, um, those candidates can choose which uh, skilled trade they want to go into and become a formal apprentice at that point and start their, their formal training, whether it be, like I said, with the carpenters or laborers or any of the others. And at that point, uh, it's not someone just walking into that that union hall off the street cold. They, they know what to expect. They've been on a job site for 16 weeks. They've they've been through the, the ringer a little bit. So uh, the success rate of them making it through a four-year apprenticeship program with one of the, the skilled trade unions uh, is much, much higher. And you're involved also in the Michigan Regional Council of Carpenters and Millwrights training facility, right? Can you talk a little bit about what that work is doing too? Yeah, we were we were excited to be chosen um, to help build their facility over there just west of Livernois in 96 and uh, just completed that, the groundbreaking here a week or two ago. Beautiful facility that they're looking to be able to train uh, over 1,500 new carpenter apprentices every single year. We have a self-performed group at Chrisman, Chrisman Constructors, so we are certainly a big contributor to that program and a big benefactor of that program with all the carpenters that, that we employ in the region. So beautiful facility. If you have a chance to get over there and talk with Tom Lutz and, and tour it, that's um, going to hopefully allow them to continue to feed the pipeline of carpenters. And we need to see that kind of investment from all of the unions in, in the training and, and education. Um, and that's going to help with the attraction as well for the young talent coming out of school, that they see an alternate path and can hopefully get excited about a program like that. Obviously, labor costs have gone up, but so have, uh, so have materials, um, steel, lumber, uh, you name it, pretty much everything has, has gone through the roof. And I'm wondering how that's playing out as, as you bid on projects and how that's impacted Christmas and, and the industry in general. Yeah, it's it's certainly a challenge right now. From 2012 to 2020, the the building cost index, typically the the cost of what it you know was to put up a new building, renovate a building, um, on average rose about two and a half percent each year. Pretty typical. And then uh, 2020 hit, and from June of 2020 to uh, June of 2021, we saw about a 15 percent increase 
And, and we continually see about a 15, 14 and a half percent year over year increase right now. So the, that same project that a developer was looking at in 2019 is considerably more expensive today to build. And, you know, we do see that that easing up a little bit, and that's probably going to continue to fall, but it's going to take a couple years. Right now, we're still projecting 14% uh, increase escalation costs for the next year. Hopefully, the year after that will be lower, back to around 7, and the year after that, maybe down to 4. But uh, but it certainly is, is wreaking havoc on everybody's budgets. And we do a decent amount of K-12 work in, in the region, and these districts go out for a bond. They pass a bond with a scope and they get a set amount of dollars. They have 50 million to improve their schools. Well, that 50 million today buys a lot less than it did two years ago when they passed that bond. And so that's a challenge for the district to understand that that, that dollar is not as powerful and uh, something on the list that they promised those voters is, you know, most likely not going to get done. And, and we are certainly faced with that on every single project. Every single budget is strained. Um, so hopefully we will see that start to ease in the next year or two, um, but we're, we're definitely at ground zero of, of dealing with that on every project right now. Here, have there been any that have been um, torpedoed or scuttled because of that or just sort of delayed? Yeah, we had a number of projects that were put on hold, um, you know, in, in 2020. Most of them, if not all of them, came back to life in 21. So there was there were some things that were competing. The cost was rising, but the but the cost of borrowing money was really low, and so a lot of the the owners that were looking at their projects said, "Boy, I may pay five or ten million dollars more for this project, but I can never get a note at this low rate." And now, as that changes, I think we are going to see more that are put on hold or permanently canceled. We had a project in Ann Arbor, a housing project that went on hold for one year. And at the exact same scope, it, it went from 65 to 74 million over an 11 month period. And, and that developer did choose to move forward because of the initial investment. And again, that, that low rate that they could borrow money at. But that same project today, that pro forma just doesn't work. And so I think we're, we are going to see more of those projects that, that just end up dying. There have been some uh, union battles, um, for lack of a better phrase, around here recently, whether it's uh, pipe fitters or um, electricians. And I'm wondering what sort of impact that's having and um, is, how it's playing out as you guys are a, a general contractor, how it's playing out at the subcontractor level. For sure. Yeah, about 98% of the work that we do as a construction manager, general contractor is with union trades. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, we have self-perform arm of the company um, that is all union skilled workers. Um, but at the end of the day, when we're a construction manager, general contractor, you know, we are we are working for a client and they sometimes have relationships or or prefer uh, non-union contractors. And uh, and so we we work you know our best to to sell the benefits of the union skilled trades but sometimes the the bid market demands that it's that it's open to everyone um and we've had uh, a couple projects recently downtown um where we have union and non-trades working together um, we've been able to manage that successfully for a long time and and continue to do so but uh yeah you certainly can see the the maybe the friction in the media more so than on the job site We've talked about a number of challenges facing the industry. Are there others that you're dealing with that we haven't discussed yet? 
certainly at the top of the list is, is trade labor shortage um, and cost issues and supply chain, you know, it all come together, uh, make it really a challenging time uh, for sure. It'll be interesting to see, you know, where the market goes and, and with the economy, certainly with, uh, with, with the changes at the Fed level, um, if that's going to slow things down. Um, but no, I, I think between those three, we've got a, enough challenge right now in, in the industry. Certainly, for sure. Um, and you mentioned the the Detroit schools projects that you work on. You do a lot of civic projects. And I'm wondering if there's a difference between projects that are civic in nature and more traditional commercial projects in terms of how you approach them or what the, the end results look like. We, we certainly at, at the Christman Company are chasing um, clients, not projects. And, and we're looking for um, those projects that are going to feed our folks' passion. And so if you look at our portfolio in the city, um, they are typically more of, of civic nature or, or higher profile, more, you know, significant, you know, historical uh, significance. And, and that's because of, of the wanting to feed our folks' passion. And, and we do pass on a lot of projects that um, may have a great profit margin, but just don't fit that portfolio. We've been around 128 years and uh, building in the city of Detroit for over 100 and we want to continue to, to build those iconic projects and those really meaningful projects. K-12 work, uh, it has its, its challenges outside of, of the ones we've talked about with short timelines of summer and, and the demands of, of what it takes to open a school on time. But it's also really meaningful work that gives back to the community. And uh, we've been building with Detroit Public Schools now for, for 15 years, uh, currently working with them, excited about this upcoming you know, uh, bond project that they have. And uh, yeah, it's it's meaningful work that that really helps our folks stay excited and passionate, inspired every day. Um, Christman is known for doing a lot of uh, historic preservation work, but in the last call it year or so, we've seen a lot of demos, some pretty iconic, um, well-known properties. We're looking at the demo of the Packer plant coming up here fairly soon. The uh, American. Uh, American Motors Company building is going to be coming down, the Cadillac stamping plant. Um, I'm wondering from your perspective, if there's anything that needs to change in terms of uh, preservation strategy, either in the city or, or, or elsewhere? Yeah, historic preservation is, is certainly a passion of Christman's and, and specifically Ron Staley, my predecessor, who ran the Detroit office, um, took over in 2014. He started our, our HP group back in the late 80s and uh, with a project at the Michigan State Capitol. And we've been continually working at the Capitol uh, since then. And that, that's led to our D.C. office where we do a tremendous amount of historic preservation. And then when Ron came back and took over Detroit in 2014, really the, the boom for us. Uh, this office went from doing $20 million a year in 2014 to $250 million last year. And we'll do $300 million this year. But right now, a big bulk of our backlog is in historic preservation between Michigan Central Station, the Book Tower, um, there was a small historic preservation element to the Theodore 11 courthouse that you mentioned, a project that I was on. You get a chance to get over there and walk the lobby and, and look at that vaulted ceiling. It's, it's absolutely beautiful. Yeah, there's, there's look around the city. There's a tremendous amount of old, beautiful buildings that are still available to be preserved and restored. And uh, certainly try to get uh, owner excited about, about what it means to preserve the past and, and not just to knock down and start new. And certainly there's a cost element to that, but uh, we see the long-term benefit of, of paying a little bit more to, to keep one of those old buildings around. And hopefully after folks walk the book tower or the train station, you know, they'll appreciate that 
and uh, continue to make those investments in the city and the old buildings. Speaking of history, Chrisman has uh, been involved in um, uh, some pretty interesting building projects in D.C., uh, particularly with regards to the uh, inaugural platform. I think it was in 2009 for Obama's first term, and I think in the second term as well. Do you guys plan on bidding again for the next election cycle? For sure. We've we've now built the inaugural stands the last four elections, so uh, both Obama, uh, one Trump, and then one Biden now. And that team out there really enjoys that project. It's a smaller project for that region, but really exciting, high-profile project. And I think they've got the, the the method now, you know, pretty well licked. So four times in a row, and we'll go for five here. Um, but really, really exciting to, to the short time to set it up and the short time to tear it down. And uh, certainly excited to be a part of it. We've got one of the pieces of plywood actually in the in the Fisher Building. Come down to the office and see where Obama stood, and uh, for his first inauguration. And you know, little two little sharpie half circles that say left and right. And uh, you know, it's just exciting to have that piece where where he stood that day and and know the significance of that. They'll let you. They'll let you guys keep that. Yeah, maybe I shouldn't have said that, but uh, yeah, when we deconstruct it, the whole platform is made out of wood, so a number of pieces get saved and, and reused each year, but a number of pieces get uh, cut up and become souvenirs. So where are you putting that one? Where is it? That one's in Ron's office. Uh, he's held on to that one. That, that one's got a special place in uh, his, his uh, collection of, uh, of souvenirs from the years. That's very neat. All right, so when Ron leaves, does he take that with him, or does it stay in the Christmas office? We'll see. I don't think Ron's ever going to truly leave Christman. He's been with the company now 38 years and uh, will always have, you know, some small part of him, I think, here um, as as many of our, our leaders um, become so ingrained in the company and have such a love for the company that they've built. Can you talk a little bit about that love for the company? You mentioned passion a couple of times. What is it that sets Christman apart in terms of the the culture and the attitude of it? Yeah, we've we've always had a focus on collaboration. I think there's a couple different styles of contractor. One is more of a command and control. And ours has always been uh, of collaboration and teamwork and relationships. One of our core values is building lasting relationships. I mentioned we chase clients and not projects. We want to get in with a client. We want to work with them forever. We've been working with Wayne State for decades. We've been working with auto owner insurance for 50 years. You know, um, So we're looking, we're looking to build relationships, long-term relationships, that's really what allows projects to be successful is that collaboration. And so I think now that's becoming a hip new thing. And uh, But for Christmas, it's just always been a way of operating. Um, and so in that environment, all the challenges that we're talking about, shortage of, of trades and, and rising costs and, you know, sitting with owners and discussing budgets where they can't get all the things that they were setting you know, out to get um, with a highly collaborative team that trusts each other, respects each other, all those conversations are easier. And so the, the skill really of the construction manager and contractor is building that, that team, not just the building, not just you know renovating the train station, but building a team out there that trusts and respects and works well together to overcome all those challenges. And I think that's the, the passion piece you know, that, that drives me every day is how can we build the best team that's going to bring everybody together here? regardless of what the, the building outcome is, the physical structure we're going to leave behind, um, but that, that team. So we've, we've just been focused on that for a long time, and I think that the folks that get it and are driven by that come to Christman and, and they stay forever. 
and all of our executive leadership is is like Ron, been here almost 40 years and be looking to hand over the torch to the to the next generation here shortly. And uh, myself and many others are excited to pick it up and run with it. Construction is traditionally a, a white male industry. Um, is there anything that the company or and construction companies in general can do to be more proactive in recruiting and hiring women and people of color at executive levels? Yeah, we, we need to be pushing this more and more. Our DEI council has been studying, you know, how how can we get um, get further further down into the high school level, really educating um, about the careers that exist in construction. Um, construction for a long time, very much a family business. Your dad was a carpenter, you became a carpenter, and or or, or even construction manager, general contractor. A lot of our folks, you know, their uncle, their you know, their dad was in the business and right now that we really need to be educating and, and pushing out um, the story about the construction trades and careers that exist to everyone. And, you know, we're very proud. We've, we've hired a lot of women in the last five years, have some really, really strong, talented individuals um, pushing harder to, to get to minorities. And, I, and again, I mentioned our DEI council, ways that we can get into those school systems and, and educate and help bring them into the programs that feed into our industry. Certainly a, a big, big effort across the, the entire construction industry, something that we all need to be facing head on. Is there anything specific you found success in yet? Um, you know, there's a lot of programs out there like the ACE mentorship program, you know, again, getting to that high school level. And, and into the communities with, with higher minority levels and helping them understand. Um, one, of the, one of the things that we've done in inner city in Detroit is get into some of the Southwest uh, Detroit schools and just to talk about construction careers and, and what, you know, what a path could be for them. Um, hopefully those conversations now will lead to you know, 10, 15 years down the road when, when those individuals are making decisions about what school to go to or what program to get into. Um, you know, we'll start to see that it's going to be the long game. There's certainly going to be an investment now that that's going to play out years to come. And I understand that you started Chrisman's mentorship program. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of that and whether you had any mentors who helped you along your way? I had a number of, of tremendous mentors from day one at Chrisman. And as we grew, you know, I started with the company short 14 years ago, we were, we were about 100 employees. And now across the enterprise, we're approaching 1,000. And so you've got to be a lot more purposeful about ensuring that everybody has that dedicated mentor. It happened naturally for me where people invested in me and took the time on the job site to drag me into the field and show me, you know, you know what it meant to be a builder. Um, so as the company grew, I, I started to see that need and, and maybe some pockets where individuals weren't, you know, being uh, mentored, you know, to the level that they should. So 2017, 2018, we put a formal mentoring program into place to ensure that everybody had that person that was looking out for them, that was dedicated to helping them get to where they want to be in five or 10 years with their career and, and outside of their project level supervisor and team that works with them every day can help them see that bigger picture and, and maybe, you know, where, what steps they should be taking to get to that point. So we continue to, to grow that program and ensure that anybody that comes to Chrisman, you know, feels that Chrisman love right away and knows that we care about their path and, and where they want to be. We've talked a lot about, um, you know, your 
your work and the company's work, but I'm curious what you uh, what you do outside the office. Do you uh, do you rip a mean drum solo, or are you a really good gardener, or what 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 keeps you busy when you're not building things? No, I've got three kids under nine years old, so what keeps me busy uh, is really them and, and their activities. That doesn't um, count. Yeah, it's it's the soccer field one night, it's the Irish dance studio the next, uh, the pool. You know, after that, all three of them extremely active. Um, you know, beyond that, I just, just try to, to find some downtime, you know, with my wife to, to stay sane because this industry can certainly, uh, suck you in and, and, and take up all your time. How, how is your Irish jig? <laughs> my, my, uh, my six-year-olds is amazing. Mine, not so much unless, uh, you know, I've had a few Guinnesses in me, maybe. Um, what would you say would be your biggest failure in your career and how did you overcome it? Oh boy. Um, certainly been a, a lot of little missteps along the way that, that you regret. Um, you know, I, I don't think there's one big failure that, that jumps out at me. I think that there's, there's always those things that you're going to look back on and say, I could have handled that better. But I think that also is important in forming, you know, who you are. And so as much as I say I would have liked to handle that situation better, um, you know, that that helps you become who you are. You know, my path, I think, into the industry was was probably longer and more broken than usual. I started out, you know, thinking I was going to be a mechanical engineer. Southeast Michigan, if, if math and science is your thing, then you want to go work for the big three. And one of my grandpas worked for GM. The other worked for Ford. So. Growing up, I was going to be a mechanical engineer. I was going to work for one of those two companies and got to Lawrence Tech with a full ride in mechanical engineering and uh, quickly discovered that I did not have a passion for it. Fell flat on my face, lost my scholarship, said, what the heck do I want to do with my life? And uh, took a very you know broken road, I think, through through the higher education route to find construction management and something that, that I woke up every day going, wow, people go to school to learn about this? This is a degree? And, uh, you know, fast forward at the time, it was the worst thing ever, lost a scholarship, I'm going to be a failure, I'm not going to be a mechanical engineer, I, I was going to, you know, that was going to be my career my whole life. And I look back now, and I would never, I would, I'd pick this career over any other career, it fits me perfectly, mentioned earlier, my love for construction, and my love for people, um, just combined perfectly. So that that route through those failures and and transferred to community college, you know, studied physics for a while. Is this what I want to do? Transferred to Michigan State, you know, back pushed engineering again because I was so dedicated. I was going to be an engineer and then then finally found the construction management program. And I think at that time in my life, you know, you're, those young formative years, oh my gosh, what am I doing? I'm a failure. But again, that's all part of the path of, of where I am today. And most of the folks that end up in this industry come from other industries. I, I sat on the MSU CM advisory board for years. 85% of the graduates out of that program came from another program. And it goes back to that educating high schoolers about, about careers in construction and engineering and technology and what's out there. So I, I think my broken path through just helps me to, to better inform, you know, young people today that, you know, you'll find your passion. And sometimes it's a little bit longer route than, than what you thought. Is there anything else that you want to talk about that we haven't touched on? No, I, I think 
exciting time to be in the industry, um, for sure. Plenty of challenges, but uh, plenty of great owners out there, customers that we're working with um, that understand the challenges. I think that's been one of the things that, that has been really exciting is these are really tough conversations, but everybody understands the world that we live in right now and the magnitude of, of this. And so it, it's been uh, it's been refreshing that, you know, the understanding that we've had with with clients and um, being able to work through these challenges. So optimistic that it's only going to get better from here, that this market will slow down. We'll hopefully get some more folks into the into the trades and uh, continue to diversify our profession and just get better and better each year. Well, Joe, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. Take care.